Welcome to Sunday service at Ananda Village. I am Nayaswami Parvati. This is Nayaswami Anandi. And we're very happy to have all of you with us, especially our guests and visitors today. I'd like to start by reading from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita based on Yogananda's teachings and written by Swami Kriyananda. Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer one that addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. Why, then, his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in its parent. And in that spirit, then, ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings that you attune yourself to him in tune, in turn, more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving we expand our awareness from its confinement in the little ego, outward to infinity. Those who partake of the nectar remaining after a sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices, never truly succeeds in enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain to happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning. 
I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, which is a book of prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> o Divine Father, Thou art just behind my prayer. Why dost Thou seem so far away? Thou dost tremble in my feelings. Sorry, I'm falling off. Thou dost tremble in my feelings. Thy presence glimmers through the veil of my thoughts. Yet dost thou seem so far away. Father, come, remove thy veil. Come, Father, come, hear the voice of my prayer. I want to know thee, to talk to thee, to hear thee speak to me. I want to pray to thee and know that thou dost hear my prayer. Show me the way that leads to thee. Hold on here. Greetings. Is this up and running? Okay. This morning's reading on prayer is a kind of a continuation on a last couple of weeks have been on prayer. And this week... The theme is how, if God knows everything, why should we tell him anything? If he has everything, why should we give him anything? And if you think of a classroom, imagine a classroom and there is a teacher with her fifth graders and she asks one of her little children a question. Well, now the teacher already knows the answer to that question, <laughs> but she's not going to say that to the classroom why? Because she wants that fifth grader to think it through for himself, because in the process, that's going to help him learn. And that image is pretty much life. That is the whole thing. We're here in the classroom with God, and he keeps asking us questions. It might be by giving us an illness. It might be financial obstacles, any kind of obstacle. He's just saying, okay, what are you going to do to come up with the answer? And it helps us to rise to the next level. So prayer is a big part of that. And it's not easy to get prayer right. You think it should be, but it's, I think as we deepen, our understanding of prayer deepens. There was a man who read in the Bible, Jesus's quotation that said, if ye have faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be thou removed from here to there and it will move. Well, the man thought that was really wonderful because outside of his bedroom window, there was a mountain. <laughs> and beyond the mountain, there was a beautiful valley which he could never see. So he thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So that night uh, before bed, he went to the window and with all his power, he said to the mountain, be thou removed. And then happily he went to bed. And in the morning, he excitedly ran to the window and he said, I knew you would still be there. <laughs> so getting that faith part right, it's not that easy and it's an ongoing process that we want to work on. Um, many of us have heard the definition in a way. Sometimes people say prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening to God. 
But as we get more and more into our spiritual life, into meditation, into prayer, the boundaries start to mesh, mush up a little bit. Um, in one of Yogananda's other readings from Whispers from Eternity, he, he writes very beautifully. He says, oh, how maddening. I can pray no more with words, but only with wistful yearning. No longer asking God for things, but just longing for a deeper realization of his presence. And that's what Swami Kriyananda means when he says, I don't pray with words anymore because there's no words for what it is that I most, he doesn't add this part, but he just said, I don't pray with words. I'm reading into it because there's no words for really what I most want. Yogananda was talking to Dr. Lewis, one of his early disciples in America. And he said, doctor, you're not praying right. He said, you don't want to pray to God. You want to pray in God, to feel that closeness, to feel that it's not me asking him, but it's us together. There's no separation. So I wanted to talk about three aspects of prayer. There are many aspects of prayer that a person could talk about. There's a beautiful article in the um, Clarity uh, newsletter by Jyotishan Devi on prayer. If you, if you want to explore prayer, I would recommend looking that up. But I wanted to talk about three that are very intertwined and that are, I guess, most inspiring to me right now. And the first of these is intimacy. Yogananda used to say, those who think God nearest of the near, find him to be nearest of the near dearest of the dear. And those who think God far away, they never find him. We were talking about doing affirmations the other day in the yoga teacher training class and why you would never say, I will become strong. I will become strong. And, and, uh, um, because it never comes. And one of the students in the class talked about a sign in a bar that said, tomorrow, free beer. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. So we want to feel it's now. We want to feel it's close, that God is the nearest of the near and that when we're talking to him, we're not trying to convince someone who's far away. Yogananda in one of his talks said, you don't know why you came here. Why do you ask for this thing or that? And for years, decades actually, I've been counseling with a friend on the phone. She doesn't live at Ananda. And for many of those years, it's always been about praying for a relationship and she longed for a relationship and so on. And recently she said to me, you know, I've always wanted a relationship. But she said, you know, I finally realized that I never would have learned what I needed to learn if I had found that relationship, that this has been the very best life I could have had. So that's so true on so many levels for all of us. It's just like, oh, oh. And then if we could just turn around and go, that thing that was seemed so terrible in my past or that I really prayed wouldn't happen and did happen, and I look back on it, 
And I have to say, honestly, I needed that. I really needed that to happen to me. I've changed in a way that I, I could not have imagined changing. So we don't know ourselves as well as God does. Yogananda, I'm going to read this to you. This thing falls off again. Um, Yogananda wrote this, and it's so, I think, so beautifully said, I just wanted to read it. He said, if we approach God supplicatingly, like beggars, designating ourselves outsiders to his love, we offer only a thimble to him who would pour out to us his abundance. It is not God who limits his blessings. It is we ourselves by the meanness of our faith. One who petitions God only affirms his mental distance from the Lord. His interest, this is the part I really like about this, his interest is concentrated only on the request itself and on the favors he hopes to wheedle out of the great emperor. It shows no wish to establish a closer loving bond with his heavenly father. God always takes care of those who love him. He knows the needs of every one of us far better than we know them ourselves. The more deeply we love him, the less we feel the need to pray for anything except the power to love him perfectly. So it's something we're working on, obviously, to begin to shift the, the uh, seesaw. This is what I want. This is how much I want to love God. And to start to realize what we think we want is not nearly as important as connecting with that love. And does it mean that God will always answer if we get the prayer right and we really want that love and then he'll just take away that illness of our loved one or bring us that thing that we most desire? No, it doesn't mean that. Because God is not going to necessarily give us what our egos want, but he's going to give us what he knows is best for our soul. So Yogananda's most advanced woman disciple, a, a woman, a soul that was so precious to him, uh, Sister Gyanamata, the last 20 years of her life, she was bedridden and she had a list of illnesses. It was like a, in the book about her life, there's a paragraph of the things that was wrong with her. And they aren't small things. They're like digestive failure and, you know, inability to breathe and, and a few, you know, major, major things wrong. And she was in great pain those 20 years. And when she died, she was liberated. And Yogananda talked about how 20 years of remaining unruffled by pain had bought for her an eternity of ever new joy. And he had to watch her go through it. He knew he could have healed her at any point, And yet he couldn't because he knew what she was earning through what she was going through. So we don't know this. And wanting to feel instead, how can I get closer? How can I understand this and see this the way you see it, God? To 
feel that so that when we go to pray to God to ask ourselves, is what I'm feeling making me feel closer to God or farther away? And to try and build that intimacy. So I told you all these three are going to, to kind of come to the same point, but the second quality that we need to work on is faith. And how do we have faith? There may be some people born with faith, but for most of us, we develop faith through our experience. How do we get experience? We have to be paying attention. Um, There's probably not one person in this room who has not had an experience of God in their lives. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you never use the word God, there's probably been a moment where you felt a sense of comfort or peace or an inexplicable joy or love filling you. And that is God. And so we need to keep our minds open to that because that's how we build faith, is through our experiences. Um, When my husband and I were in Palo Alto, and Parvati, we were running the center in Palo Alto together. There was a woman who became friends with Bharat and myself, who, uh, she never came to church, but she just kind of liked hanging out with us and, you know, inviting us over and things like that. She's a wonderful, wonderful person, very together, very upbeat. And so when she came to the center and was sobbing, I was quite alarmed. I'll call her Mary. And, and so I asked her what the problem was, and she said basically there had been this obstacle in her life for the last two years, and she couldn't shake it. And she, it was a thought she had. She didn't want to have it, but she couldn't get rid of it. And so we talked about that for a while, and we went in the temple, and I gave her a way that she might offer a prayer about this, and we did it together. And she left, and about a month later, she was coming by our house again, and I said, well, Mary, what about that thing in your life? She looked like her usual upbeat self. And she said, oh, oh, that's gone. That's gone. Now other things have moved in to take its place. And I, of course, I was happy that the obstacle was gone. But I was sad because I thought, here's a missed opportunity. God has touched her life. And she didn't notice it. Because God, as they say, comes like a thief in the night as opposed to many of us who like to make a fanfare from time to time, God just sneaks up and rearranges the pieces and makes it look like it was always like that. And you just don't notice it. So to build our faith, we need to pay attention to those moments of transformation and blessing that happen. And finally, the last one is relationship. We have to be in relationship to God all the time. If you had a friend who the only time you ever saw them was when they wanted a really big favor from you, you really wouldn't be that, it would get a little old, okay? And many of us might lose our patience with that friend um, before God. God is much more patient than we are because for most of us, that's how people initiate that relationship with God is just, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And so he, he, uh, allows us to do that and hope that we will learn more from it. But we have to build that relationship through meditation, where we're just being with God, through japa, repetition of 
a name of God or a prayer of God, chanting, practicing the presence of God, trying to hold his presence with you. And then it's natural to say, and oh, by the way, no, I don't have a house. I, I could use some help. It's, it's not just like a, uh, someone you hardly know, but it's someone you know very, very well that you naturally want to share your needs with. So all of these three, building that relationship builds that sense of intimacy with God, and that sense of intimacy builds that sense of faith. And so we want to use them all together and to feel our lives more and more moving in closeness to God. There's a beautiful, beautiful story from the life of Ramakrishna that I want to share. Um, Ramakrishna uh, lived in the late 1800s, an avatar, great, one of the great saints of India. And he um, had a close disciple named Vivekananda. Uh, his name wasn't Vivekananda at the time, but I'll, I'll use that name. And uh, Vivekananda, who was, as you know, one of the great yogis that came to this country to bring yoga, um, his father died, and they discovered that their family was penniless. The father had, uh, you know, tabs all over town, and now the family had no money, and so no food. Um, and so Vivekananda was going around trying to find work, trying to find food to support his mother and siblings. And it was, it was a terrible, terrible time um, in his life and in his family's life. And after a while, he began to find some kinds of jobs so that he was able to bring some food to his family. Um, but it was uncertain. And he knew that his mother's life depended on him. And he he, he wasn't happy about this. And so he went to his guru, great avatar Ramakrishna, and he said, sir, would you please pray that my mother and siblings have food and clothing? And Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna was a, just a great, great soul. It didn't have anything to do with the world at all. Very di- it's different than our path, but beautiful. And Ramakrishna said, oh no, I could never pray that. That's for you to pray. You have to be the one to pray that. And Vivekananda pleaded with him, and finally um, Ramakrishna said, look, tonight I want you to go to the temple, and I, you'll have a special blessing. You go to Mother Kali, and you pray for your family, and I'll, you'll be sure it's blessed. So as Vivekananda was going to the temple, suddenly this divine intoxication came over him, and he came into the temple, and he found that Kali was alive. Divine Mother was alive in the temple. And he just fell at her feet, and he said, oh, Mother... Oh, Mother, grant me detachment. Grant me devotion. Grant me divine wisdom. Grant me that I may always see you, that I may never have any barrier between seeing you the way I'm seeing you now. And he spent this time absorbing the love of the Divine Mother, and he wandered back to Ramakrishna, and Ramakrishna said, Well, did you ask her if she'd feed your mother and your family? And he just went, No. I forgot. (laughs) And Ramakrishna was just like, he said, go there again. You know, you have to do this. Go there again. So once again, he went to the temple, and once again, this divine intoxication came over him, and Kali was there, the Divine Mother was there, and he said, oh, Mother, 
Grant me detachment and discrimination. Grant me devotion. Grant me wisdom. And I never want to lose sight of you again. And the whole thing, same all over again. He came back to Ramakrishna. And Ramakrishna acted like he was completely, you know, disgusted with him. And uh, you have to do this prayer. So hold it together, he's saying to him. (laughs) You know, don't forget why you went there. So this time, uh, Vivekananda went to the temple and he remembered what he came to pray for. But standing in the presence of God, he said, I felt totally ashamed. He said, I felt that I was in the presence of a king and I was asking him for pumpkins and gourds and I couldn't do it. And so he went back to Ramakrishna and he told him what happened and then he said, Ramakrishna Guruji, you have to pray for my family. And Ramakrishna never did that, but Vivekananda just begged him and begged him. And finally he said, all right, your family will never lack for simple food and clothing. And that is what happened. But that is such a beautiful sense of what, what we want when we pray, that we're so much uh, with God that really the other things in our life are not that important. And the truth is, as Master tells us in that beautiful quotation, God always takes care of those who love him. So if we can more and more offer ourselves to him and into his love and remove inside of ourselves more than anything else, remove the barriers that keep us from receiving his love, get rid of our little thimble that we're holding out to God and saying, I want it all. I want your love. Om.